communicating here communicated here is understanding birth death destruction and then creation again so it's like the cycle of life yes. and so in yoga again going back to the mudras and using some of the sound technology that um, comes from the tibet is like sa ta satanama satanama that's that's birth death destruction and creation as the cycle. Satan. That's very interesting. So when we're doing yoga practices, we'll be using mudras to go along with the sounds. The sounds, there's like a little, um, like a telephone keypad on the roof of our mouth. And so when our tongue hits it with this um, ancient language that is connected deeply, going right to the, the hypothalamus and communicating with it and telling our body what to do. So like Satan, uh, Ma, we're hitting, we're putting in a little code. So it's like it's some. It's well, a that's language. fascinating because long before you know, you're just sharing with me something I was not aware of about that because I'm not familiar with the higher yoga. But this shows the exactly what we've been talking about: how God reveals in different flasks throughout the world, and how this was revealed in the yogic principles and yet is also revealed in the mystery schools it's revealed in christianity it's revealed in judaism and kvala you know all these things and how interesting is that in the high yes on the, in the pyramids yes but you know like you're talking about the life death uh destruction, destruction. and then rebirth is this is the essence of the cycle where we are destroying the old self and creating then we from the ashes of the old self we're creating the new man which is what a lot of mystical and spiritual practices are attaining but we actually understand that part of that process is the destruction of the old that's you know taking a look at the darker elements within the the uh, evil elements within and we are destroying that to make room for this rebirth that has to occur and you know taking this even further which is relating to something i'm writing now in the lord of the redemption that relates to the divine feminine um, which is ironically the holy spirit because the crucifixion which is that destruction has to occur but then after that crucifixion there has to be that um, creative energy to come in to build something new. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's interesting how these things will continue to be revealed to us in higher and higher ways. Yeah, and, and to me too, there's, means. there's a cycle of life, right? So there's the Santa Nama that we mm -hmm. just spoke of, uh, the circle of life, but you, I, I think it's in this chapter where you speak of uh, the great spiral. Because the one thing about a circle, it's enclosed. You just keep repeating something over and over. But if we can think of it as a spiral that continually can still go around and around, 
with the to go uh, upward. life, death, destruction. Yeah. And the rebirth. Well, and that's what you're doing. And when you're, when you're altering from the circle, which is like a repetitive pattern, you're, you're going to the spiral, you're changing the uh, direction in which the energy is moving. And that's how creation then can occur. Love it. I was really interested in um, the Mayan cards of walking stone. <laughs> uh, well, upon the journey. And uh, these are the totems or guardian spirits, which represent the different facets of being, which incarnate into every soul at different junctures down the path of initiation and ritual. The initiate has now come across a final crossing point, point the coming forth of the bones. I just think this is so fascinating. <laughs> and, and the Mayan and their technologies. And I've, I've spent a yeah. bit of time down there and, and hanging out and, and just to be able to compare their work with uh, Egyptian and even uh, Hindu and Buddhist, like when I went to Cambodia or Thailand and, and how they're all just very connected. You know, even like the pyramids that yes. I saw, like Teotihuacan. And even like, if you talk about the meridian lines of the earth, um, they're on very similar um, meridian lines of the earth, these giant temples that were built as if they knew the river of energy flowing underneath the earth. And so they built them there for particular reasons. Yes. What can you say about yes. the land cards of walking stone? Well, just what you shared is, you know, the totems, which are the, the uh, totems are guardian spirits of different essences, different qualities, different manifestations. And um, the Mayan cards of walking stone and what you're talking about and the whole thing you just read are, again, things that you see and you gather a sense of the essence and the energy is brought into you but you don't fully have a way to express what that is um, because it is energetic, it's molecular, it's particulate. And so, but, the, but what it's speaking of is this, this, uh, these guardian spirits, but they're coming through again, another ancient culture the way that the Mayans, the, the way the Mayans had it embodied within their culture. And, um, and we, in the, in these rites, you will go through many different mysteries that are related to different cultures, different religions, different faiths, different parts of the world. And like what you just stated was very apropos because again, this is how we look at shamanism across the world in that, these, these things emerged on all continents without them having contact as far as we know. I know that there's lots of theories now about that, but these practices, these spiritual practices um, came about anyway, even though they had no contact and they're very similar. And that is one of the ways that we are able to discern they were all touching into the universal consciousness which was instructing them and hopefully you won't think of me any differently you probably won't but when <laughs> i i was in ecuador and i uh, there was a shaman there 
who was 87 years old. He was head of the Quechua people. He was in the lower Amazon. And there was a chance that, because I knew somebody who knew him that maybe I could go and speak with him. And so I ended up, it did work out. And he invited me to have a ceremony with him on his, his property. And we did uh, ayahuasca. And mm-hmm. it's not a willy-nilly thing. And they've been doing it with their right. um, their tribes for thousands of years on that property. And they have an intimate connection with the plant. And it's a teacher. It's a teacher plant. And so I was able to connect very deeply with Mother Ayahuasca. And um, it's, a, it's a teacher of different realms. That's something, there's no way that somebody in the physical could really understand that coming from that conscious place physically unless they've witnessed it themselves. And so yes, these shamans are very intimately connected with other realms and the plants, which is another kind of consciousness. And there's many yes. books, volumes have been written about the consciousness of plants as our teachers and such. So that again, is something extraordinarily fascinating to me that mm-hmm. these shamans, this is one book, The Shamans of the World that I read. I don't know, 15 years ago, but just thank you for compiling that, whoever did it. But just going through all the shamans of the world that they connected with and their intimate knowledge of how the universe works. Yes. So this is just mm-hmm. amazing stuff that we can connect to, but it's those types of teachers that are here on this planet are, are going away faster. And, you know. Yeah, it is very, that's very sad that it is. But again, just to point out that anyone who wants to take either, you know, like a peyote or ayahuasca journey, mm-hmm. that it's so so important that you do it with, you know, the elders of the tribes, because um, I so you know, agree. There are, I agree. Yeah, there are, yeah, there are, there are situations that erupt because people are doing it without the proper understanding of how it should be done and how it's been done safely for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And you do need the guidance of a, tribal elder and i'll say that i don't know that i'll ever do it again um it was very intense and then there was this other peruvian couple who've been together since they were 13 and they went through the amazon and connected with every single shaman that they could and they sang these beautiful ayahuasca songs and so i also worked with them and then we did some type of, of peyote the the third day and just to like bring everything together and they were integrative psychologists so whenever you worked with it then the next day you'd sit with them like doing a session and you'd talk about everything that happened and so it was incredibly amazing and but i don't know that i'll ever go there again and i've since met met people i don't judge them but they kind of do it on their own um or they'll you know there is the church of brazil and such and they there's nothing you know hey you do what you do i met this one lady and she's like yeah i've done it uh once a month for the last four years straight. And it's like, okay, that's cool. But I had like a master that I had faith in and I could trust. And it was in that land where it was grown was something sacred to them where, and I had reverence for it. And it wasn't just like some kind of, however, with the two Peruvian uh, um, shamans, there was a couple other people that were there and they didn't have that same reverence that I I did. it's, and I don't judge them either, but they were doing it more for to have an experience like, oh, 
that is an experience. And to me, this was like the most important thing when I was doing that. And it was all full spiritual and, and I was open and ready. But, you know, I also had a, teach, a Kundalini teacher, um, Guru Singh, and he talked about, he's like 75 and he's a master. He's, he's incredible. And he said, like, as far as, as drugs go, it's, you know, we go, it may be an experience that's had, but then you, you don't really get to bring it back with you when you come back. And actually you come back and you actually go the other way a little bit, right? So we don't need to have those types of things to, uh, and you are, you know, here you are, you've never used any kind of drug or alcohol or anything. And in fact, I think it's uh, an impediment uh, in many ways. Well, it can be an impediment. It can be, um, you know, definitely can be utilized to uh, bring about something, a spiritual experience of some kind. But I agree with what this gentleman you just mentioned said, which is that you want, if you want the experience to be a part of you, that's something that goes forward. These are things that, you know, and all my, all the people I work with and the people who read my books who end up becoming, uh, having mystical experiences, some of them become profound mystics. They're doing it naturally. So it shows us that you don't have to have that as part of it. On the other hand, of course, um, I also feel that God placed those plants on the earth for a reason. And that's probably part of what, you know, to help souls who need to have that because yes you can't you cannot understand a mystical experience truly if unless you have experienced it to a certain degree there are some people like for instance i'll, I'll use ellen white who wrote the book mysticism mm. who she never spoke about having mystical experiences herself i don't know if she did but boy she was brilliant at uh, bringing together and understanding the mystical experiences of all the great prophets, saints, mystics, sages, and uh, ascetics, you know, and she spoke about them as a whole in her book, Mysticism, and it's a brilliant work, and that's coming from someone who is a mystic, so uh, she's unusual, you know, but for the most part, most of us, um, it's hard for a person who is very grounded to understand what happens in a mystical experience. And that might be part of the reason these uh, plants and stuff exist and have been made known to tribes throughout the ages. But the goal then is to take that experience and uh, bring it in to incorporate and make it a natural extension of your human soul rather than something that has to be brought out only by that means because we can do it and we've definitely seen that that is the case that it's it's not something that's inaccessible to most it's actually pretty accessible but you know ironically i think um, um this quote at the end of this uh, mystery the 18th mystery from the most holy trinosophia of the Comte de saint germain kind of sums it up very well the lesser mysteries are rituals of self-control and purification. The greater mysteries are rituals of creation. 
in nine processes, man purifies himself, but only to the few are given the keys of the threefold creation mystery, the creation of form, thought, and the creation of consciousness. That's what's happening in this 18th mystery of the rites. And he summarizes it very, very well. That's beautiful. Now, the 19th mystery is the initiation and ascent of karma. The karmic thrust will not cease its rush to the physical spheres over and over again until the soul has confounded it through the wisdom of God. Yes, and this is, you know, going back to what we have talked about. I mean, there's so much in this. Each of the mysteries, there's so much. And, you know, we're, we're kind of going to, we've talked in great detail about some, and then in some, we, we kind of went through them quickly. And we'll probably continue doing that. But here, there is so much that's going on. But this is really the, the cultivation of virtue through the spiritual reading we've been talking about. It's informing the soul, ingesting the food of the spirit so that it can become a body of knowledge within you. And that's what happens. So we, the karmic thrust is um and like here i wrote that the karmic thrust the delusion may remain for months or years or decades every traveler's path will vary and like i've seen like for instance in dialogues two you're going to see seeker goes through this intensive purification of his lusts and it's happening over a several month period some people will take years you know it can be years it can be a decade it can be two decades or in and your reality, case lifetimes life many oh yes absolutely yes but case. when we actually go into the intrusive process that's when we're actually in it where we're actually altering our ways of belief and thinking about those habitual patterns of behavior that can that can be months it can be years it can be five years it can be a decade it can be more and I wanted to say that one of my former priests said that we will be tempted until 20 minutes after death. And I think that is well-spoken because there is no point during the rites where you become uh, not vulnerable to temptation or to more self-delusion because we all are and we all continue it you know, throughout our lives. So that will always continue. But what you're doing here is you're subjecting your soul to this body, these bodies of knowledge that you are taking in. This period is, um, involves a lot of spiritual reading because this is the formation process now where you're reforming how you think and believe about uh, action reaction in the physical body what what is you know what what are the virtues what are the vices in their higher expressions and then even as you continue with the supernatural expressions which continues later on down the journey but yes this is i feel that when i'm reading something that is feels really true to my soul. I'm very married to it. I'm very connected to it. It's, there's something I'm doing. So like when I have read some of the 
spiritual texts that uh, I have as of recent. Um, I'm in it, but I am, there's a whole other energy that I have that I feel I'm connecting with. And it's not because somebody wrote it and they're of a certain station and what they're writing about is, is so lofty or so incredible. It's just that there's a part of me that's kind of waking up maybe part of that cellular memory mm-hmm. or something. And, and I feel it in my heart and I feel that it's almost like an excitement that I have. It's um, I'm turned, the light switch is turned on in a way. So it's never, ever, ever work for me when I am doing reading or spiritual study. It's something where I feel like it's the only time where I'm really connected truly to myself. Well, and you do get energized in it, you know, because once you, I mean, by the time you're going through the rites and stuff, you sure are, you're, you're sure on fire for this, 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 you know, reaching God and this purification. So you, you become very, very energized to do the work, you know, and then, but we go through periods too, just so for those who are going through this, where you struggle more with pushing through and you have to discipline yourself more to do it because it isn't something you're on fire for at that time. And then, you know, you go through these back and forth, the, the um, lulling and then the, the, wow, I'm energized again. And then it's, you know, Oh, well, you know, I'd really rather not. And then it's, you know, so, so this is a normal ebb and flow of the spiritual life. Well, once we'll find too, we start getting into it. We're going to be like, Oh, this is great. You know, why did I resist this? This is awesome. Right. That's true. Very well said. Very well said. Cause people do look at this as, Oh, it's work. It's a chore. And it's like, what you don't realize is there is that huge uh, relief. To me, it comes. feels like I'm, I'm home again. Yes. Oh, I'm home. You're home again. Yes. Why did I, why did I resist being home? Ernest Holmes talk, talks about karma versus kismet. What is yes. he talking about there? It's in the beginning of the chapter. I'm looking, yes. Um, well, what he's saying is... Uh, uh, kismet, he's speaking of kismet meaning fate and how people think that karma is like this great kismet. When... Um, He's saying it very well here. I'll read the couple lines and then I'll explain it. Karma is not kismet for kismet means fate. And karma simply means the mental tendency. Karma is both individual and universal. So karma being both individual and universal has to do with our individual karma and the universal karma of all humanity and of all life. Um, what What he's pointing out is this this uh, relatively common delusion that, oh, well, it's my karma, therefore it's my kismet, it's my fate, it must happen this way. Um, But he's pointing out, no, karma is a mental tendency, which I would say is a habitual pattern, you know? Um, And so we are in the 19th mystery, the initiation and descent of karma, this is often when uh, some of our issues will face us head on on the ground 
So stuff will start happening around us. And a lot of people say, what's well, my karma? So I have to go through it. And it's like, okay. So, but no, it's not this, it's not like Shangri-La or Kismet, which is, um, it's, no, it is a habitual pattern. And karma is in existence for the sake of being transformed into something true, lasting and eternal, not something momentary, uh, pointless and um, habitual. Now, and since we're, we, we touched on that, can you also talk about like, the difference between belief and faith? Well, belief is the actual um, belief in tenets, things of, you know, details. Faith is faith in something often that is unseen. Um, like, for instance, you know, when uh, Christ said to St. Thomas, he said, um, blessed are you because you have seen and believed. He had belief, but even more blessed are those who have not seen and, and believed and had faith because faith is belief in something not seen. You know, if, if you are a person who has seen and spoken to face-to-face -face an extraterrestrial, you know that that happened, right? But there are people then who have a faith in the fact that there is other life in the universe besides our own. And so faith is usually faith in something not seen, something not necessarily always completely understood. You know, when Mary Magdalene went back to the apostles, um, Thomas was the one who held out, you know, I will not believe until I see and touch those holes in his hands, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but the others were able to say, well, I have faith because Mary saw it and I have faith in that. But, you know, this again goes to what we were talking about earlier as well with the uh, Old Testament story of the brother who wanted to go back and talk to his brothers. Well, and God said, no, if they won't listen to Moses or the prophets, they're certainly not going to listen to you. And this again is an issue of faith versus and belief. Faith is um, if they had faith, they would be listening to the, because it's an infusion. Faith is an infusion. Uh, it's a gift of God. It's a gift of the spirit where you have an infusion of a certain trust and understanding that Moses is speaking for God. So I have faith in that. Belief is, this is what I believe. So you can believe anything. You can be believing in God, but you can also believe in Satan. And you can be equally incorrect uh, either way. You know what I mean? In terms of what, what that belief might be. You can have a belief in, in you know, putting chocolate chips in a donut. Uh, but faith <laughs> is belief in something that is not necessarily seen or known, mean, meaning understood. And this is where faith becomes... Um, a transformative action because we are allowing for a higher thrust to enter into us by having faith in that higher process of what God can do. And I would say that you have affected my faith just by your emanation. Well, thank you, Brian. I'm honored yeah. by that. 
So you are emanating a certain way of being that adjusts my faith into what's possible. So, That's awesome. I'm honored I'm, by that. And I'm open to that. <laughs> fully open to that. Now, like, can, we, can we touch upon what the symbology of the Golden Sphinx is? Well, the Golden Sphinx was... Um, and then what, that's the uh, energies of the Phoenix afterwards. Okay. Well, yeah, so when you go into the Sphinx, uh, you go into... Uh, this is a, a very symbolic again, difficult to put into words, but I'll do my best. You go in and you have to go through all these ritual passages to get the key to go in to see the Sphinx. And so you have to pass through all this stuff first. And then when you go in there, you find that the Sphinx also has the horns of a bull, but the wings of an eagle. And the horns of the bull represent um, incarnate man, karmic man. But the wings on the Sphinx represent the transformative capability, the potential of man to rise higher above that. And then when you're moving into the Sphinx, this is a transformative, fast moving, really energy of transformation, which rises. So again, we're trying to bring that bull on the ground, that hard and fast bull and rise it up like the eagle, the wings of the eagle. And ironically, as you go through these rites, you will also see that the, there are further symbols that you will go beyond, which will be moving from the, the, the bull to the eagle, to the white-winged horse, which soars in the heavens, to that of a star. And so these, this is a symbolic rendering that we are given in this ritual of what is possible. These, these higher and higher and higher thrusts beyond our karmic self into and you know one of the uh, beings that i got to communicate with was quasar and she manifested to me as a native american woman um, and would talk to me about these transformations and then part of it was eventually you are going to thrust yourself onto the body of the quasar star which is the ultimate then one of at, at that point the ultimate at that point of transformation from the karmic self to the eternal self. What's the, what's the difference? A karmic self is a mortal being. This is a being that will experience birth and death. An eternal being is transforming into uh, something that is an ever abiding existence. We are existing in what's real, um, in, within the eternal, which is within the mind of God, within the universal sphere. Um, as long as we remain karmic beings, we are little bulls on the earth. <laughs> you, know, we are, you know, we have to have our way. We think that we're following things. You know, Ernest Holmes is talking about this idea. Well, well, because it's your karma, that means you should do it. That's just your fate. It's not. Because it's your karma, it's a, it's a habitual pattern that you would do better to overcome and thrust into a higher 
eternal sphere and the energy of the sphinx is part of what transforms that to make this possible the energy of the star and the white winged horse which you know in my travels i had that particular white winged horse named saint harmony crystal fire and what's interesting about um this white winged horse was this was a being of great intelligence you know this was not just a horse that had wings it was it was not just intelligence as we know it um, as human beings it was a higher intelligence of a like a great higher finer spiritual being and so even in the beginning phases where i'm just riding my white-winged horse to these different places saint harmony crystal fire was already working on this um, idea of you must go higher than that because that is completely um and that's why it's dead why it's death and it's grounded in death because there is nothing to come from it except the same old same old you play out the same habitual pattern you die and you have to keep doing it over and over again and so you um like it says here um i wrote the soul has to confound it through the wisdom of god so we're confounding these habitual patterns we're seeing them in action we're actually on a testing grounds in the 19th mystery because we are hitting the ground with our karma but this is where we can to um let me just uh, read from this a little bit um, from the commentary on the great perfection called the great chariot um, it kind of embodies uh, the knowledge of the 19th mystery very well i am a person with the mind of a perfect fool <laughs> having fallen under the power of bad companions by the desires which rose from confusion in my mind i produced the karma of many evil deeds by cultivating and going along with these desires i have been a murderer of living beings by listening to the people who waste the goods of the sangha the buddhist assembly of the peoples i had to know the unbearable fruit of doing that i am destroying by my harmful thoughts by malicious words i punish everyone even my mother um, and i'm going to pass through here where he's just talking about his transgressions and he's worried that his mind will then be summoned to the lowest hells and the births i see ahead are more than i can bear and then we move forward which is this transformation of the 19th mystery all compounded things will quickly be destroyed like lightning in the sky they cannot last for long as your time too is therefore drawing ever nearer the time has come for true repentance to manifest so this is a period where true repentance is manifesting it's a time where um there is a, a study required of us to begin to understand why these habitual patterns are taking us backwards and not forwards a lot of times what i'll see with spiritual counseling clients <laughs> is you know this is where a lot of um 
excuses are made. You know, no, that's just the way things are. And it's like, no, it's just the way things are for you because this is so habitual. You think it's just the way things are. It is not the way things must remain, <laughs> you know? But because it's so habitual, we really do have to do the study to reform our thoughts because our previous thoughts are still embedded within us and we have to understand why they aren't uh, leading us in the correct direction. Um, you'll see in dialogues too, I just did some editing yesterday, as I said, but you know, there's a point where, you know, the questions arise of, but what are you saying that I can't pursue love in my life? And we have to learn that the vices, lust is looking towards death. Love looks towards the light of God. They're on opposite poles of action. But in our karmic mind, we think we are pursuing love by pursuing lust. But yet love goes in a completely different direction than lust. And so we are literally uh, changing the complete position of where we look. And we can only do that by the study required to examine our former beliefs and our former habitual behaviors. I don't know if that's helpful, but yeah. that's what definitely goes on. And so the energies of the phoenix builds a nest or a tomb. Yes. This burning away of our karmic propensities. Yes. Or and, continuing know, on with it and building a tomb instead of a nest. Yep. And here, it, you know, it says, but do not, I'm saying, but do not be deceived. It is only the first karmic thrust. So this is only going to be the first of many. You know, so the 19th mystery is, is um, a time of study and fortification of your senses so that you are learning what a higher mind would perceive versus the lower mind that we have held for eons. And it's held us to the ground. Is this a chronological study? Um down yeah. to the mysteries okay and so the 50 levels of the holy mountain what do you have to say about that those are levels of where people live and perceive from within the world the holy mountain is earth is the earthly existence the 50 levels contain 50 very variant perceptions and so it can be from the lowest predatory um, type of thinking to the highest where the top of the mountain, where you are seeing things from a higher understanding of the love of God, but all these gradations in between. Um, and so one of the things we learn through our uh, rituals in the, in the mystical and out-of-body spheres is that every human being lives in their own world in this world and we only understand the, their world when we peer through their eyes their windows of perception because literally i can be living here and i can have people living next to me and their their perception their experience of life is completely different from mine 
we find that our experience of life is in direct correlation with our experience of God and our understanding. So we peer through a completely different window, just as, let's just use another example, just as a squirrel in my backyard lives in a completely different world than I, even though we share the same space. Because the world of the squirrel involves his little ecosystem and the predatorial chain of the food chain um, as to, you know, they're looking for nuts. So that's what their little minds are doing, but they are also targeted by predators. And so their world is completely different than mine, but yet they exist right outside my door. You see, so we start understanding that the worlds that we live in, even in this life, will vary according to the level of consciousness that we carry here. You can be in a world that is complete peace and tranquility, and your neighbor can be in utter chaos. Um, you can, you see, and, you know, and then we also have, you know, we're talking in an earlier mystery about how the realities bounce off of each other. And this is part of where karma comes into play. It's the intermingling triangles that bounce off of each other. And so we, we can all be impacted by another one of these karmic embodiments entering into our space. And this is, uh, it can be in a good way and it can be in a very bad way. This is where crime occurs, you know what I mean? <laughs> where, uh, a person in one of these lower spheres of the mountain can come in and they can destroy, you know, because they are in the same world, but perceiving through entirely different eyes. Um, so that would be a lot of what that mountain is about. So understanding. It's not as if we, there's 50 levels of the holy mountain, but it's not like we're at level 34. And then, the, and then we just go right to 35. Sometimes we might go a couple steps back yep. or find ourselves at 12, mm -hmm. but we still have had the experience of 34. So that's still there. So we can tap exactly. back into it. And then, so it's, it's not such a linear path, perhaps, just like life. Well, yes. And see, like Pensatia says from the high mountain, she says, mind and soul were quickened. That's what's happening the study that we're doing is quickening the mind to literally we begin to enter into a higher perception of action, reaction, energy, karma, and life on earth. And so all of these things are being quickened through this period. And um, what would you say, what do you have to say about the Grail Castle and the Castle of the Souls? Well, you're it, it just sounds really cool. So after we have the 50 levels of the Holy Mountain, all right. we, um, it's just right after that. And then you go into Galahad and the Eros and Lancelot and Elaine. So it's just after the 50 levels of the Holy Mountain. Okay. Well, let me find it here. Um, there's a whole bunch here. 
on I those know. 50 levels of the holy mountain because uh, I utilized a lot from a you know a lesser known mystic Pensatia who was Rosicrucian in mm. the 60s and um, and so I utilized a lot of her visions in here to share you know to show the similarities and the things like that. We so have a quote from Arthur Edward Waite or at least he speaks about the hidden church of the Holy Grail. Oh, does he? Okay, is it Arthur Edward Waite? Let's see if I can find it. My apologies. My search good. function is not working on my. I know we tried. I do not understand. It was so. Well, let me just let's just see if there's a there's a fluke going on here. It's, so it was the uh, Holy Grail. And the Grail sounds like it's connected with the Holy Mountain because the path of the quest on the upward progress. The okay. Grail is free from everlasting until okay. it is revealed in us. Yes, so this is where you're pulling it from. It ironically is from Pensatia. So I found it. My search function is finally working again. So cool. What? Um, I know. I know. What? Incredible. It's exciting stuff. So this one is mentioned right here on page 223. So there it is. So she's saying, this is Pensatia's experience. Behold, in my body of light, standing within a golden fire, came also the male body of light. And in the alchemical marriage, both fused as one, positive and negative. And from the fusion came forth the Christ, the babe, the Holy Grail. And of course, Christ is the Holy Grail. Mary, Immaculate Mother, came and blessed the cosmic ritual. And this is ironically, she says, all must in time experience the alchemical marriage. I speak about this a lot in a book of mine called, let's see. It would be in the solitary series. It's mm -hmm. the emissary where I speak about this, this bridal union with Christ. And she's speaking about it here as well, which is literally... It is a marriage of the soul to God. So we we're talking about earlier how, you know, in the Garden of Eden, the fall came about because we walked away from wanting to be in union with God. We wanted to be little gods. And um, here what we are doing is we are reuniting now in this alchemical marriage. It's a spiritual union in Catholicism. It's called bridal mysticism. You know, Judaism speaks to bridal theology as well. I have a book on bridal mysticism. It, it, it's um, in the overview series called Bridal Mysticism at, or Bridal Theology. I can't remember. One or the other. Um, but um, Bridal mysticism. Thank you, Brian. So it's, it, you know, this is um, one of the great summits of the union of the soul with God. And that's what we're doing as we are extricating all of these karmic thrusts. And so we'll go, we'll go through one of the marriages of the soul to God. But again, like many of these rituals, there will be many to come. Mm -hmm. These are this, you know, there's, there's um, different levels that continually go higher in this as well. And so you also Here, speak of this as like a chemical initiation too, right? Right, because, you know, Rosic well, Rosicrucianism, you know, embraces alchemy. 
And um, so, you know, she was speaking of in Rosicrucianism that, you know, they have the cross with the rose. And um, in, in Catholicism, it would be, you know, similar. It's just different. It's not called alchemical. It's, it's the mystical union with Christ. Um, and in, um, in this Rosicrucian text, she's talking about the alchemical. Um, one of the books I also wrote was Deus, Dominus Deus Omnibus, which is about alchemy. And, uh, and, but it's, the, it's in the how-to series of books. It goes into the alchemical aspects of out-of-body travel. But here, she's talking Pensatia. She says, Master H has introduced, and I'm not sure if you caught that, where she was reunited with the masculine aspect of herself. And this is important. So it says the master H again introduces Pensatia to uh, the eternal flame, the master, his eternal flame, the master Margaret. Margaret speaks. Pensatia, here is my cosmic resting place. On earthly plane, when needed, aid and counsel is given worthy disciples. As one, we work together, the Master H and I. Master H was her particular, one of the, her particular spiritual teachers. Yet apart, we carry on our cosmic mission. Always when the student is ready, in some degree, they learn of me and experience here in consciousness, the alchemical marriage. So we are dropping the dross in this 19th mystery, the karmic delusions that um, we have carried and we are uniting with the higher elements of life with God himself. And this involves, you know, the uh, union of the feminine and the masculine energy within the soul and the bridal experience with Christ. And um, even in, uh, there's another one here, which is from Emmanuel Swedenborg in his spiritual diaries. He said, a lucidity was shown me in which those live who can constitute the internals. It was a light beautifully varied with streaks of golden flame representing the things of affection. You know, in Swedenborg's writings, in his mystical experience, he spoke of how our affections are actual energies in the mystical spheres. So he speaks of uh, representing the things of affection. And so our affections are actually altering from things that are of darkness to things that represent the living flame of light, which is God himself. That's what's going on in the 19th mystery. We're moving through those thrusts where karma hits the ground. It gets kind of intense, but this, the, the initiate continues to study so that they can reform their beliefs and that energizes this unity this union where we are now taking like some of our first steps towards going back to the primordial perfection